Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right. Well, I am glad everybody is able to be here with us today, both right here in person as well as online. We are in uh, part three of our Christmas series, Christmas at Coastal. Uh, it's been a great couple weeks. We've been looking at a couple of the different uh, key players in the Christmas story, not Ralphie, but some other key players in the Christmas story, Jesus, obviously, Mary, Joseph. But what we have focused on over these last few weeks is a couple of the different people that maybe we don't focus in on as much. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Chris talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth and everything they went through. And then last week, he talked about the shepherds and everything that they experienced as a part of this Christmas story. Uh, but today I get the privilege to be able to talk to you about the wise men, the wise men. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to this. This is a, a part of the, the story that, you know, maybe we are familiar with in just a little bit. Uh, we understand kind of that they came, there was three gifts and they were there. And that's kind of what we know. Uh, but hopefully today, maybe you'll have a better understanding uh, of these wise men and who they are, these wise men from the East. But before we can answer questions like, uh, you know, how many were there? Was there actually three wise men or were there more? Uh, you know, why these gifts? Why did they even come? Why did they seek out this child, this baby, this king of the Jews? And why were they even seeking out the baby? But we got it. before any of that, we need to know a little bit about who these men are. And these wise men, in the Greek, the term is actually magi. Uh, so for us, wise men, these are philosophers and professors of the day who were experts in things like medicine, history, religion, prophecy, astronomy. These were guys that knew a whole lot of information. They were well thought of in their, their community and uh, they, were, they just had a lot of wisdom about them. But they are the ones that are coming to seek after this newborn king that we are celebrating this week with Christmas. And so I'm excited to be able to talk to you a little bit about these wise men and why they are so important to the Christmas story. And the reason, I will give you right up front, the reason that these wise men are so important to this Christmas story and so important for us to be able to hear about right now is because we are very similar to these wise men. They represent us all. I'm not saying that you're the most wise person or that you're the smartest person in the room or anything like that, but these men, these wise men were seekers of hope and truth. And we are seekers of hope and of truth. And so what I want us to do today is to look at some things that seekers, that us that are seeking after, after this Jesus, or, or we're seeking to have a, a deeper relationship if we already have a relationship with him, but those of us that we are seeking after him, I want us to be able to look at just a few things that seekers should know. And the very first thing that I have for you this morning is this, those who seek will have to leave something behind. We'll have to leave something behind. There is a point in our faith and in our relationship with Christ when we are going after him and seeking after him. There are things and certain things and certain things in our environment, certain people, certain things that we will have to leave behind, our comfort zone. It actually says here, and where we're gonna be looking at is Matthew 2. And in Matthew 2, 1 to 2, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, the very first thing that I want us to be able to kind of notice in this passage of scripture as we walk through it is notice that these wise men showed up in Jerusalem after Jesus was born. They weren't right there at the beginning of the birth, right there at the time of the birth. You know, one had a washcloth on Mary's head, and one was, you know, holding, you know, Joseph up from passing out or anything like that. They weren't right there at the birth. These men came after. It says that after Jesus was born that they showed up. Now, I remember as a kid, and especially even right now, seeing these plastic light up characters of the nativity scene in these yards and like always the wise men are right there, right? They're right a part of the story, but they were not there 
at the very beginning. In fact, they came later. Theologians and scholars would say anywhere from two months later after the birth to as many as two years later for a variety of reasons when they've done the research in this. It says, uh, actually in verse 11, we'll see here in just a few moments that they came into the house, not a stable, not a barn, not a cave, but they came into the house. And it says that they saw a child, not a baby, not a newborn. Verse 11 also says that. So why would they leave behind all that they knew and make this trek to Jerusalem? The biggest thing and the biggest reason of this is God's providence in their life. The fact that God was calling them to this child, to this newborn Jesus. And so God is calling these wise men to this place to leave everything that they know and everything that's comfortable, their comforts on their homes, their families, their friends, their, their careers, everything, and to leave it all behind to come to Jerusalem to seek after this newborn king. God was calling them that way. And, he was, and they were there because they were being pulled to Jesus because God had ordained it and he had orchestrated it. He was weaving this whole thing together. It's important for us to be able to realize that, that they were being called to this place. And just like you, you were called to God himself the same way. He is weaving a story in your life to bring you to himself. You and each one of us has a story. It's a little bit different. Where we were born, what our family dynamic was, uh, where we lived or where we went to school, the, tr the job that we have, all these different things. But God is weaving this story about the way that people have impacted or influenced us in our faith. And God is weaving this story in our life to bring us to himself. Notice in verse two, it says that we saw his star. We saw the baby's star, they say. This signifies that Jesus is God. It's, in fact, it is God because God created the stars, right? We know that, we look back at Genesis, God created all of these things. And it says that we saw his star. They acknowledged already that this was the child's star. You see, God works in supernatural ways and in a supernatural series of events, of people, of circumstances, and brings all these things together to weave this story together to where you can seek after Jesus and you can find him and have this relationship with him. And these things in our life, they come together to bring us to God himself. So when we are seeking the unknown, we will have to leave our comfort zone. We're gonna have to step out of what we know, the things that we are familiar with, the things that maybe at one point we even thought were the most important, the focus of our life, the object of our attention and our affection. I know for me, I was uh, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was in sixth grade. And I was very keened in on the idea of savior, but its struggle for me was understanding what it meant for Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And it took me several years to figure that out until the end of 10th grade when I had an influence of people in my life that began to show me what the Lord of my life being Jesus looked like and how that played out in my life. And so at that point, when I began to experience that, I had to leave some things behind. I had to leave a certain group of friends. I had to leave some specific Friday night activities or things that I wanted to do. I even had to leave some sinful desires that I thought were extremely important in my life. And I had to leave those behind so that I could fully seek after him with everything that I had and everything that I was. The wise men traveled from Persia to Jerusalem, uh, which was over a thousand miles. This is a huge journey, leaving behind everything that they knew. And you right here today, you listening online, you may be in position in, to need to leave friends, to leave an addiction, to leave a situation or a circumstance, to leave a lifestyle or a hobby, or maybe it's even a sin that you know that is pulling you away from God and keeping you from experiencing everything that God has to offer for you through his son, Jesus Christ. The things in our life that we go through and that we experience, these become roadblocks to us and our faith. 
Which leads us to number two, that those who seek will experience opposition. Those who seek will experience opposition. This is very important because we need to understand that we will be opposed. We will have uh, things and people that will keep us from experiencing God to his fullest. So when we are seeking after him, there are gonna be things that set up as a roadblock or you know, something that's in the way where it makes it hard or makes it hard for us to see clearly who Jesus is. Matthew 2, verse three and four says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, in this passage of scripture right here, uh, it says that Herod the king heard this and he was troubled. You see, this is, Herod feels the impact of the weight of who these individuals are, this group of people that has come to, to serve a new king or to find a new king. And he begins to get worried. And he's gonna throw up some opposition in their way. Well, when we're talking about this, how many wise men were there? Naturally, most of us would say how many? Three, right? We'd say there's three wise men. Do you know why we say three wise men? Because there was three gifts. It doesn't say there was three wise men. It just says there was wise men that came and they brought three different gifts. But what we don't know for sure is the quantity, but we do know is the quality of these men, these wise men. We do know the quality of their intelligence, the quality of their status and their knowledge. And the reason we know that because it was enough to get the attention of Herod. You see, Herod wouldn't worry about just a few people claiming that there's a new king, but he would worry about a mob or a mass group of people that are claiming that there is a new king. That's what would worry Herod. You know, for me, I played basketball my entire life from the time I was a kid all the way through college. And every coach I ever had, not one time in a pregame strategy meeting or one time in the, in the huddle on the sideline before, you know, before we were going back out on the court, not one time did any coach ever worry about the players that weren't very good. He always focused in on who's the best player or who's the second, you know, who's the top two or three players. That was always who the focus was. And see, for Herod, he is focused in on these, these players right here, these impact players that are gonna come into this town of Jerusalem. There's a group large enough that they are going to make an impact. So just like Herod is worried about the wise men who are seeking a new king, the devil is worried about you seeking a new God. Herod's worried about these wise men seeking a new king because that might get out. And there might be people in the community that begin to say, maybe we should look for this new king. You know, I don't really like what's going on with this king. Maybe I need to find a, a, this new king and, and see what he has to offer and who he is and how his, his rule and how is his kingdom. And he, he's worried that this is just gonna get out and it's gonna begin to spread. So just like Herod's worried about these wise men seeking this new king and the spread of that, the devil is actually worried about you seeking a new God. And what I mean by that is this, if you are a Christian who's already turned your life over to Jesus Christ, you have already turned your life over to a new God, the God. But he's maybe worried about you seeking after him more fully, more completely in your life. For those of you that don't have a relationship with Christ, he is worried about you getting rid of the things or fleeing or running from the things in this world and sin that he provides and the, the temptations of this world, all those things that the devil has to offer. And he's worried about you leaving those things and seeking after this new God, this king, this child, this Jesus. And he's worried about it. In fact, 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil wants you to run from the one true God and seek after what he has to offer in this world. You know what the biggest problem with this is? Is that in most of your lives, the devil has already been winning this battle inside of you. You've allowed the devil to mislead you. You've allowed the devil to tempt you and to pull you away and to say, oh yeah, if you just check off your box Sunday by attending church or watching us online, then you're good. And all the rest of the week, you can live how you want to. 
That's a lie of the world. It's a lie of the devil. He's tempting you. The problem is that he's been winning this battle inside so many of us. In fact, one of my favorite passages of scripture is in Acts 19. Uh, it's called uh, the seven sons of Sceva. If you look at a, uh, maybe in your Bible and you see the heading of that section of, of scripture, uh, where there are these men that are trying to perform miracles in the name of Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't have the name of Jesus. They're not fully invested in who he is. And so they come into this tent to be able to cast out some demons and the demons end up beating them and defeating them to the point where they come running out of the tent naked. And in this moment, the demons are not worried about these individuals because the demons say to them, they say, Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? You see, the devil has demons that are working and orchestrating things in this world. And my hope for us is that we would be somebody that the demons recognize. That we would be someone that the devil knows who we are, that the devil is worried about the impact that we can make by seeking after a new king, that we might bring along people with us to be able to worship this new king, this King Jesus that we are reading about right here in scripture. This king that we celebrate this week. Because the thing is, is that we are facing a great adversary in the devil and he is capable of anything, and he's willing to do anything to take you down. But as a part of this, he has goals of getting you to just question things, to question some things about your life and about your faith and about your Jesus. He wants you to question about God. Like, did, did God really create all things? Does God really love me? Did Jesus really die on the cross for me? Is he really in complete control of all the things that are going on uh, in this world? And does he really understand and love me and know me for who I am right here in this place? But he also wants you to question your faith. Do I have enough faith? What am I really trusting in? What is my faith really invested in? Does Je did Jesus really die for my sins on the cross? But he also wants you to question yourself. Am I good enough? Am I a Christian? Am I living my life to glorify God? Because the devil knows if he can get you to just begin to question the things of your faith that he's got a hold on you and he's keeping you from experiencing everything that God has to offer, he's also keeping you from sharing that love and sharing that gift with everybody else that needs to hear it. So the opposition is gonna come your way when you seek after Jesus and it won't always be easy to persevere and to make your way through it. The world seeks to oppose everything a Christ follower stands for and is seeking after. The world wants you to be as far away from God as you can. Herod was doing this and he was worried about these wise men, but the devil is worried about you and experiencing everything that you have in Christ. And if you keep searching in the world for fulfillment, it will fail you every single time. Every single time. We look to the world and we look to the things of this world for fulfillment but it doesn't even weigh in comparison to the fulfillment and the joy and the hope that we have in who Jesus Christ is. So how do we per persevere and continue to seek? Number three, those who seek must have faith for the journey. If we're gonna extend out on this journey, we're gonna leave everything that we have behind. We're gonna go through the opposition that is, that is keeping us from seeing who Jesus fully is and seeking after everything that he has to offer. We have to have faith to be able to do this. Matthew 2, 5 to 8 says, They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, you shall come a, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me the word that I too may come and worship him. Now, Herod is one that is uh, 
Obviously, he's spitting out some lies. He's spitting out truth. He wants to come and worship him, he says. No, he wants to come and he wants to kill and destroy. But the Magi, these, these wise men, have been on a very long journey, as we said just a moment ago, over a thousand miles. And to keep on going when things get difficult, it takes faith. It takes a lot of faith. So imagine what they faced in this trek across the desert that they were on. Imagine the things that they had to experience in a thousand mile trip where they experienced, uh, you know, weather situations and they experienced, I'm sure, thieves and people trying to take their stuff. They experienced a, a lack of food or water more than likely. It almost sounds, if you're an 80s and 90s kid, like a bad game of Oregon Trail. You know what I'm talking about? Like he died of dysentery, we, you know, we need food rations, you know, things like that. Like these are the things that they probably experienced on a thousand mile journey that is believed to take between four to six months that they were coming from Persia to Jerusalem. And these wise men are going through this and going through this crazy experience. But the part is, is when they get to Jerusalem and they want to search, begin to search for this child, that they could have searched very thoroughly for this new King Jesus, because it wasn't just three people. It wasn't just three people. The only way they could have pulled off this 1,000 mile journey like this was by a caravan, a gray Dodge one with leather seats and screens. In the, no, like a caravan, like wagons and camels and people and just a, a line of people that are going and making this journey. And they would have pulled into Jerusalem most likely with a full military escort and servants and everything that was going on in this, this huge caravan. And most scholars would tell you that it was more than 300 people. This wise men was not, the wise men were not a group of three, but most likely a group of 300 or more that came in to the city of Jerusalem to make an impact, to find the newborn king, and Herod was worried about it. And he wants to know who they are, and when he hears that they're there to worship a new king, he freaks out. He gets worried. And their journey, the wise men, their journey was to seek out the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies from hundreds of years earlier, like prophets like Daniel and Micah, and all of these different uh, prophecies that are beginning to come true, and they are seeking out to see these things happen. And you, right here in this room, and watching online, you are on a familiar journey, a very similar journey journey as these wise men because you have the words of God to guide you in the scripture in the Bible but you also have people in your life that are right there in your life that are investing in you that are teaching you that are leading you that are guiding you that are there to answer questions to be able to pray for you and they have experience with Christ already and those are people that you need in your life so that you can walk through this journey who has God placed in your life to be able to walk through this journey of your faith with think about that who has God already put in your life that has been able to help you find out more about who this Jesus is, to be able to seek after him with everything that you have. For me, I had a lot of these different people that have influenced me in my life. As a child and as a kid, uh, my mom was one of those people. She invested in me in the way that she made attending church and being involved in church a priority in our home. But also my grandparents who showed me the importance of understanding and reading scripture. They read scripture more than anybody I've ever seen. The Bible was always open. Every time we went to their house, there'd be the Bible because they had been reading that day, that morning, just right before we even walked in the door even. They showed me the importance of that. I had an uncle named Greg who showed me the, uh, the importance and the, the, what it meant to be a Christian man leading your, your spouse and your kids, your Christian, your home, to be one that seeks after who Jesus is. And he was very important for me to be able to see that, what that looked like, so that I could one day do that as a husband and as a father myself. I also had an intern when I was in high school uh, by the name of Jay, who was a huge influence in my life because uh, he showed me that you can be a Christian, you can be an athlete, and you can be cool all together, whereas I thought those things had to be separate, that I wasn't sure you could do all of those things together, but he showed me that it's okay to be able to do all that, that you can have those things in your life that you, that you find important or that you enjoy, but also to be a Christian. 
And then I've had very, uh, just an exceptional group of pastors that I've been able to sit under as a child all the way up until now. And, you know, be able to hear from these pastors as as mentors, even the the very old ones like Pastor Chris, but all of these different individuals. And if you don't know what that that has to do with his little, I'm about to turn 40 remark a few weeks ago. Uh, But, uh, you know, just even like Pastor Chris, being able to share God's word with me and and teach me about more about who he is and how to love and how to serve God, to have people like that in your life are extremely important whether it's a pastor, whether it's a small group, a life group leader, whether it's a parent or a family member or a friend, maybe it's a coworker, to be able to walk along in your faith and to have somebody that's right there to be able to do that. Now, I tell you that because these wise men came to see this baby king. They knew that there was a baby that had been born, but they didn't know where at exactly. And they knew that he was the king, but they didn't even know his name. But this takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith to leave everything you know behind to face the opposition that they faced, and to have the faith for the journey that you know you're gonna reach something at the end that is worth it, that is valuable. And we need to have faith like this constantly in our own life. Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. We are assured of the things that are hoped for, the things that that are there, that that we have this eternal hope, we have this eternal life that is a hope that is is set there before us as as we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are convicted about the things that are not seen, especially the things that we know that have happened that we read about in Scripture, the things that we experience in our life. Faith in Christ is the foundation of our salvation. Faith in Christ means that you entrust everything to his care, his provision, and his ability. Everything in your life. That you entrust your family, your finances, your job, the passions and the desires of your heart that you have. So why should we have this much faith? Which leads me to number four, that those who seek will experience hope. Those who seek will experience hope. Matthew 2, 9 to 11 says, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had, been, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Great joy. Well, what kind of star was it exactly? There's a lot of interesting theories out there, some put out there by scientists and and people that are not of faith. Uh, Anything from a special conjunction of planets coming together, uh, maybe even a special comet. Uh, There's even talks out there of maybe it was an exploding supernova that suddenly filled the sky with a brilliant flash of light. Now, I tend to lean a little bit more towards the, the faith side and what scripture says and lean, lean more towards the possibility of it being a unique supernatural light because of a key verse here in, or a key point in verse nine, that the star or the light actually moved until it finally stopped over the house where the child was. That it actually moved and led these wise men until it stopped over the, the house. This is a supernatural event. But it's the light that gets me in this moment when I think about this story. You see, hope is signified in Jesus through his light. He is the light of the world. He is the light in the darkness that we need to to experience. And when we have a life that is filled with darkness of sin or of temptation or of addiction or of struggle of sin, that all these things that we experience and we are in that darkness, the only thing that can help guide us out of there is the light. And that hope that we have in Jesus is through his light. You see, in the darkness of our lives, we can find hope in the light. In the darkness of your affliction, in the darkness of your struggle, in the darkness of your tragedy, everything that you have and experience that is darkness, the light will bring that out and you will begin to see, you'll begin to be able to be guided through that. It will give you a hope. 
For me as a kid, uh, there was a lot of things that I uh, went through and experienced from uh, divorced parents as a young child uh, to some uh, other events and things like that happened to me in, in, in my life as a kid that when it came time to go to bed, a lot of time in the dark, I was worried. And it wasn't that I was scared of the dark necessarily, but it was that I was scared and began to think and worry about all these things that are going on in my life that I couldn't control, that I didn't know what was going to happen. But for me as a kid, one of the things that helped me in those moments is I would lay there just wide awake and just thinking about these things as I'm trying to go to sleep. It's always had a little flashlight or even like a keychain light that I would pull out of my nightstand drawer and I would just hold it and turn it on. Because just that little bit of light gave me hope. It gave me hope of being able to go to sleep and to, exp- and to know that there was a light coming the next day, that each day was gonna be a new day. And sometimes that worried me, but that little moment of light gave me so much hope in the darkness that I was experiencing. For some of you, you're in the darkness right now in your own life and you need a moment of light to shed on your own life so that you can experience hope. You see, the objective of this life is not success, it's not status, it's not stuff. The objective of our hope in Jesus is joy. It's joy. The song that we sang just a few moments ago, joy to the world, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. Joy has come to the world. The Lord is come to the world. Let earth, let us receive the king and then let every heart prepare him, prepare him room. Let your heart be open to the king, to the joy that the Lord that is coming into your life and allow you to seek after him, but you must make room and to prepare room for him to come in because then he will begin to push out the sinful desires of your life, the evil things that you have, the darkness will begin to leave you and you'll begin to have hope in the light that he brings. You see, once you have a relationship with Jesus through surrendering your heart to him, you have an eternal hope an eternal hope of being united with him in heaven for all eternity. In the book, The Liquid Church, it says among unchurched U.S. adults, 51% say they are seeking something better spiritually than what they have already experienced. They're seeking something better. If you aren't experiencing everything God has to offer you, then you need to make a change today. For those of you that already have a relationship with Christ, it may be repenting of some sin that's in your life. It may be running from an activity or a hobby or a circle of friends or something that's pulling you down that's an opposition in your faith journey so that you can seek after God with everything that you have. Maybe a person. But some of you in the room that you don't have a relationship with Christ, some of you watching online don't have a relationship with Christ. And you are one that you have a lot of things going on in your life that have been pulling at your life, pulling at your attention, pulling at your, uh, your resources, your, your money, your energy that's been pulling uh, on your heart, all these things that are maybe a, a sinful desire, maybe it's an activity or a, a hobby or something that has just pulled you away and kept you from experiencing God and kept you from seeking after him fully. Maybe today you need to make the change. Because here's the deal, God has a plan and a purpose for your life that begins with you submitting to his lordship. Hope can only be provided by someone who already possesses it, and that person is Jesus. He's the only one that can provide hope. He's the only one that can provide light in the darkness for you. So how do we receive this hope? Number five, those who seek the Lord will experience life change. They'll experience life change. Matthew 2, 11 to 12 says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You see, there was nothing about this baby Jesus to make you think that he was a king. 
He was a baby. He was an infant. Probably messed in his diaper and he probably cried at night when he was cold and hungry and all those things. There was nothing that would make you think that he was a king, but when the, these wise men saw him, they knew that they were looking at a king. They knew it because God had brought them on this journey and had showed them and revealed this, this newborn king to them. You see, Jesus possessed more royalty in a cradle than Herod did in an entire palace. He was royalty. He was king. And they fell down, these wise men, and worshipped him. Literally in the Greek means to kiss his hand as a sign of deep-seated adoration and reverence for this newborn king and who he was. The gifts were brought to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of the Gentiles bringing their wealth to the king of Israel. These, these gifts that, you know, one we obviously know about gold, but the other two were like, you know, frankincense and myrrh and like, what are these things? And, uh, but these, these, these gifts are very important because they are symbolizing the wealth being brought from the Gentiles to the new king. And the, the significance behind each one of these, the gold, is this is a symbolism for royalty, that Jesus was the king who would rule with majesty and with power. But also the frankincense, this is uh, for his deity, that Jesus was also God with divine character and perfection, that he was holiness. And then myrrh, that it symbolized his death. That 30 or so years later, that Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of the entire world, you and me included. That he would die the sinner's death on our behalf. But you know what's really cool about this is that these wise men bring these gifts to the king, to God, in the flesh, this Jesus. But for you and me, we do not need to bring our gifts to God. We only need to bring ourselves and our heart. We need to surrender and submit to him. Isaiah 55, six to seven says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You see, we are to seek the Lord with a heart of humility and honor. And it's not about the power of your words, it's not about, about the position of your body even, but it's about the posture of your heart. It's about your heart and your attitude and your spirit in which you come and seek after Jesus. Scripture tells us to seek the Lord with everything we have and everything that we are, and he will give us grace. This baby, this child, this Jesus lived through Herod's attacks to kill him and end his reign, and he went on to proclaim the word of God through his miracles through his healings, his blessings. And then after 30 years, he did go to the cross with our name on his heart and on his mind. He came here for you. He came here to seek after you. The question is, will you now turn to him and seek after him? Will you seek after him? No matter where you are in your faith journey, if you're just checking out this, who this Jesus is, or if you've been somebody that's been attending church and you've called yourself a Christian for years, are you continuing to seek after him? Because he has already sought after you by coming to this earth, born as a child, and then died on a cross in your place and for your sins. And so my hope today is that you would make a change in your life to begin to pursue after him and to seek after him with everything that you have. And it simply comes from calling on his name, repenting of your sin, and continuing just to, to seek out for him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Let's pray. Father God, right now I just want to thank you for who you are. Lord, for your son, Jesus, that we are celebrating this week and Christmas. And uh, Father, we are just thankful for your word, how it can speak to each one of us. God, with your word, we are able to see the story of the birth of your son, Jesus. 
And Father, right now my hope is that everybody in this room and everybody watching online, that we would have a greater understanding that those who seek after you will experience hope, experience joy, experience life change. That we have an eternity waiting for us if we would surrender our heart to you. Father, my hope is that for those that don't have a relationship with you, that today they would know that there is a God that loves them, a God that created them, but that he loved them so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for them and in their place. That they simply need to repent of their sin, to change directions of their heart and of their life, and to go after you as Lord and as Savior of their life. Father, for those that are in the room or watching online that already have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would know that they can seek after you with everything that they have. That, God, it's not a Sunday morning only thing. It's an everyday thing. The Father, that they are called by you to have an intimate relationship, not just a friendship, but an intimate relationship with you. And Lord, they may have been letting some things get in their life. They may have let some sin infiltrate their heart and their actions that has just been a roadblock and an opposition to experiencing everything that you have to offer. Father, my hope that is today they would repent of that sin, that they would turn their life to you, refocus, realign the object of their affection and their attention. And they would continue to seek after you with everything that they have. Father, I just thank you for the time that we have to worship today, the time that we have to come together in person and online, but to be able to hear from your word and to celebrate the newborn king, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.